You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host, JJ Leahy. Check us out online at packernet.com and follow me on Twitter at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or to submit questions for the show. Well, I lost about two hours of my life that I will never get back screwing around with uh, my microphone, so that was a lot of fun. Hopefully, this sounds okay. Uh, I spent two hours. Some, somehow, my audio kind of got jacked up or should I say jacked down, it was super quiet and you could hardly hear it. And when I would try and uh, run an amplifier on it, you just got insane static. So that was just, that just didn't work. Fortunately, I noticed before I was too far into the podcast. Um, I'm really hoping that you are enjoying these uh, guest episodes that I'm hosting while Ryan is gone. Otherwise, we basically would just be going a week with no Packernet podcast at all. So you know, I don't have a Packernet podcast to listen to every morning now. I'm used to making Pack Daddy a part of my morning routine. He has been gone for quite some time now, and I don't really know what to do with myself in the mornings when I'm sipping my coffee. Basically, I keep picking just a random podcast off my list of shows I have intended to get around to listening to. I'm not going to put on... <laughs> Packernet podcast when I'm the host and listen to myself talk. Not doing that. So I'm sure some of you are very desperate for Ryan to come back so you don't have to listen to me anymore. I am also looking forward to his return. But uh, it sounds like the Schlipp household is extremely busy with the move right now. And it is the off season, so you know what, what can you really complain about? You have a daily Packers podcast to listen to at a time of year when there is nothing happening in Green Bay at all. Um, I was a little bit nervous the other day when I said on the on the podcast here that what we all really want is for the Packers players to kind of keep their heads down and not get arrested. I was a little bit nervous that there was going to be some blowback and people going, oh, yeah, it's a can't believe you'd say something like that. That's just super rude. And, you know, why we got great guys. Why would you suggest that? Well, partly because every other team <laughs> <laughs> seemingly is having guys arrested left and right. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark was arrested today in Los Angeles with an Uzi in his vehicle. Sounds like it was a loaded Uzi. So that's cool. I know, uh, what's his name? PJ, hang on, what? I gotta look up the guy's last name. Hall, I thought it was Hall, but in case PJ Hall was a different guy, I wanted to be <laughs> careful and not... Um, insinuate that P.J. Hall got himself arrested. He did. Uh, he is a misdemeanor assault charge. This is a guy who I don't even know if P.J. Hall should really even still be considered an NFL player. He is a free agent. He 
was cut by the Raiders. Actually, the Raiders tried to trade him to the Vikings, and the Vikings agreed. And they were given up relatively hefty compensation. I think it was like a sixth-round pick for him. And then he goes to Minnesota and fails his physical. So the trade gets voided, and he's like never gotten signed by anybody since then. I think that he spent a little bit of time with the... He didn't spend time with the Texans. The Texans tried to sign him, and I think he, again, failed his physical. Now he got himself arrested. Zaven Collins, linebacker, uh, 2021 rookie that a lot of Packer fans were super high on. He also got arrested today, uh, arrested for reckless driving in Arizona. Um, I think it was a little bit more serious than that, but he also got released. Not released by the team, but released from police custody. I say somewhat more serious because it wasn't just speeding. It was speeding and driving dangerously. Um, the There is a question about whether the Cardinals are going to suspend Saban Collins or whether the NFL will suspend him. Sounds like that actually might be a thing. So I, I don't know. I'm Everybody's speculating right now. There's no word from the NFL uh, or the Cardinals. Neither has commented on it. But that's not great. Uh, the Chiefs had a backup quarterback who was arrested for drinking and driving. Uh, a story that does not really fit the thread here, but is just kind of too funny to not include here. <laughs> Former NFL star Vince Wilfork's son is charged with stealing his father's Super Bowl rings. So that's interesting. Now, at this time last year, who was it? Zadarius and Rashawn and... Uh, one other guy on the team, I forget who it was, another young guy, were all arrested driving through Wisconsin. I believe they were speeding, and then while they were pulled over, the car gets searched, and they do have drugs in the car. Would really like to avoid a repeat of that this year. Uh, there was a question of whether any of those guys were going to be suspended. None of them were, which is great, or at least great for the Packers. And some of the Packers' younger players have had some uh, behavioral issues in the last, uh, I would say, year or so, year and a half. The most public of those stories, obviously, was Jay Sternberg getting suspended for two games for uh, drinking while he was on, uh, I believe it was antidepressant meds, and then getting behind a wheel. He did, obviously, apologize, and he, uh, you know, has he said that the Packers have sent him to uh, therapy. But that's still not great. And, and hopefully the two-game suspension won't hurt his chances of making the roster. I would really like to see him still get another shot this year. However, there is definitely some depth in that tight end rune, so we shall see. Now, this one's not an arrest, uh, but Vikings rookie defensive tackle Jalen Twyman was shot four times today while visiting his aunt in Washington, D.C., his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, said this was simply a case of wrong place, wrong time. He said that uh, Jalen is going to be okay. That's all that matters. We're thankful he is okay. He will make a full recovery. Um, obviously, they have not released any public information about his uh, health status in terms of, like, is he still going to be able to play football this year? Um, I have no way of knowing well, you know how you can project that out and and determine when his full recovery will be, but that is horrible news. Feel um feel really bad for him. Uh, you know prayers and support go out to uh, 
um, Jalen and his family and the Vikings organization may not like the Vikings, but uh, obviously this is one of those situations that's just bigger than football. Really relieved to hear that he's going to make it. So not a super fun news cycle, uh, but there just is no football news this time of year, which is why now is a great time for digging into more like football theory, um, speculating about what the team is going to look like this year. I did have a lot of fun going through the uh, the defense yesterday. Got some nice notes from some uh, listeners. I was going to throw a another post up in the Facebook group and ask for some more questions, but then I saw that there are a bunch of questions still on the last post that Ryan made asking for uh, podcast questions that it looks like he never really got to. So I figured with these questions being a week old, now is a great time to get to them. We're going to start off with a question Ryan did answer, but it's just too fun of a question for me to pass up because I want to answer it too. Gerard asked, if you were the GM, where would you have gone with the first round pick in the 2021 draft? Um, So I actually really did like the Eric Stokes pick. I was not like super in love with him as a prospect leading up to the draft, but I didn't, I didn't have any issues with him. I just thought it was not a super exciting pick. Uh, I did have Caleb Farley ahead of him. I, I like Caleb Farley a lot, but Farley went at pick 22. We were picking at 29. Uh, I was not a fan of Greg Newsom. We'll see if he ends up being a good player for the Browns. I just never really cared for what I saw for him out of Northwestern. I'm an Ohio State fan. I, I have seen a decent amount of Northwestern film and watched Greg Newsom play, and it just, it just never wowed me the way that he wowed a lot of folks in the media and a lot of scouts. Sometimes that just happens. He might still be a great player, uh, but he just was not my favorite. Uh, I did really like Rashad Bateman, who was also taken before 29. The Ravens took him. Um, I was decently high on Gregory Rousseau. With Stokes still on the board, I would have taken Stokes over Rousseau, but I did really like Rousseau, and he was a guy that I had a first-round grade on. Uh, the next guy taken that I really liked was Elijah Moore. I liked Elijah Moore pre-draft a lot more than um, uh, Amari Rogers. In fact, I did an episode on this podcast about Elijah Moore. Um I also really liked Christian Barmore. I think I would have been picking from a group of those guys. Barmore, I think, probably would have been my pick. Just positionally, I really have some massive uh, fears about our, or not fears, but just lack of confidence in our D-line. And with the defense that we're expecting Joe Barry to run, and I, I broke this down yesterday, D-line needs to be able to generate pressure with their front four. Um, and that front four has to be really solid in the run game as well because they, and I didn't really talk about this much yesterday. It was kind of an oversight on my part, but uh, the defensive line is unprotected for the most part, meaning you don't have linebacker, the middle linebackers behind them kind of backing them up in the way that uh, we have had under Mike Pettin. Now, we did see some encouraging things coming out of Kingsley Kiki last year. would like to see him take another step this year. But I think positionally, you have to go with either Christian Barmore or Eric Stokes. 
Uh, but Elijah Moore would have been would have been my really fun first round pick. So would have liked any of those three guys. And then um, if if for some reason those guys had been taken, plus the other guys who went before our pick, who I liked, uh, Gregory Russo is sitting there, and I I did like him as well. All right, uh, I'm going to take our first ad break here. Look at me remembering to do it like you know decently early. I'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Patrick asks, can the Packers board of directors decide difficult decisions if they vote front office individuals are hurting the franchise? Um... Let's just go with the simple answer of no. Uh, the technical answer is yes. However, the, the, if they did something, it would be the first time in like 60 years that they've done anything. Um, here is the situation in which they would remove Mark Murphy, because that's, I'm sure, what is being alluded to here, because I get some form of this question like every day on Twitter. The situation in which they would remove Mark Murphy is if he is embezzling funds, if he is uh, lining his own pocket with money from their rainy day fund. That is when they would remove him. Not because there is some unreported on fully drama between the quarterback and the organization. That's ludicrous. Also, Mark Murphy is going to be retiring in just a few years. The Packers have a mandatory retirement age. You cannot stay on past age 69. So I guess once you turn 70, you have to retire. So Mark Murphy is currently 65, I believe. So he's not going to be around for too much longer. Most likely, Ed Policy is going to succeed him as the new Packers president. And for the billionth time, you look at what the Packers were in 2015, um, 2016 even, although 2016 ended up turning out well, 2017, and especially 2018, when the Packers were really just kind of falling apart. You look at 2018 when they went 6-9-1, and one, and they lost to the Arizona Cardinals, who picked first overall in the draft. Two years later, for them to have gone 28-8, and eight, including the postseason, made the NFC Championship back-to-back years. Calling for Mark Murphy to be fired is ludicrous. And uh, no, the Packers board of directors is not going to step in and get involved in anything football related at all. 
the Packers front office has to have someone report to the board of directors a couple times a year and just update them on what's going on. And what Andrew Brandt said is that uh, when he would go and make that presentation, the Packers board of directors would just kind of smile and nod and then just say, all right, continue on, carry on. Um, They are involved in a lot of other things, but not football related stuff, which is the way it should be. You don't want a, um, a committee of uh, business leaders making football decisions. You want your general manager. You want the president who does have a football background. Many of you may not know that Mark Murphy was an NFL player before he started working with the NFL Players Association and then ultimately working with the Packers. You want football guys running football. Uh, the Detroit Lions are an excellent example of what happens when you have non-football guys running football. So hope I answered that question for you. Um, number one, I would just say I don't think that the problem that you're worried about is actually a problem. And number two, the solution of the Packers Board of Directors solving this, uh, if it is in fact a problem, is ab- definitely not going to happen. That's that's not their role and not it's technically something they could do. They would not. They have not interfered in anything in the last 60 years and there have been much 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 worse times in Packers history than the present. Christopher, I believe this is Goose, uh says should we take all the voided years as proof that the cap is really going to skyrocket in a couple of years? Uh probably. Um not maybe necessarily leaning on just those void years, but also um, looking at actions from other teams around the league. I think the Cowboys are kind of one of the better examples of this about all the money that they are pushing into the future. Um, I think Jerry Jones does not really care if he's uh, tipping his hand about the fact that they are expecting the cap to go up. More than the void years, I would kind of also point to just the absolute calm that uh, Goody and Russ Ball have toward the um, salary cap situation. They do not seem to be at all concerned about the cap situation. They seem to be looking at this as a very short-term thing. So, yeah, I, we don't we don't have any information. All you can do is just kind of read the tea leaves based on. Um, how they are behaving and structuring things. And it sure seems that that is their plan. My my theory is that we're going to see them, because we already know the cap ceiling next year, which is going to be pretty low again, um, and does not provide any relief for the Packers. They are already well over the cap ceiling for next year. I would not be surprised to see a bunch of restructures next year, similar to what they did this year. And I don't like this kind of restructure, but you're just kicking money down the road. I would not be surprised to see them next year kick the money down the road yet again, and then in, uh, be be hoping that in 2023 the cap goes up enough that they can kind of dig themselves out of this hole at least like part way. So it is very interesting to see them maxing out the company credit card like this. It's not my. Uh, a cup of tea, not how I would prefer that they do it, but they have a plan and they're not uh, nervous. 
Nico says, so Preston Smith's contract was cut down to where he only goes like 800000 against the cap or something like that, but he has incentives that can bring it back up to well over $10 million. If he hits all those numbers and makes a lot more money, does it go against the cap? If it doesn't, can't they just lowball all the contracts, cap hits, and make huge bonuses that are attainable? That's an excellent question. It's one that I have wondered myself before. So it seems like some of the incentives do count against the cap and some of them count against next year's cap. And to your question of can't you just lowball all the contracts and make the huge bonuses that are attainable? Uh, yeah, you could. Here's um, I mean, the short answer is yes. Here is a more interesting answer. Um, it used to be that you did not have rollover from the previous year. So if we, if we don't spend all of our money in a given year, the next year we have the current year's money plus the leftover money from the previous year. That is a kind of newer development. I don't remember the exact year that they started doing that, but it was, I want to say mid 2000s, like 2005, somewhere around there. Prior to that, um, any money you did not use up just disappeared and you, you couldn't use it again the next year unless it was um, bonus money that counted against the cap and then was not uh, used up. So what the Packers would frequently do is they would take like their backup quarterback and they'd give him these incentives like, hey, if you throw um, 10 touchdowns in a game, will give you $40 million. That's the kind of contracts that they would give him. And obviously, the quarterback knows he's never going to hit that. The team knows he's never going to hit that. But it counts against the cap. So then next year, you would have had that money uh, from the previous year. So I thought that was uh, an interesting story to talk about. So with Preston specifically, he gets $1 million base salary. He has a $6.5 million signing bonus that is spread across this year and next year. So it's $3.25 million each year. He has a $300,000 per game active roster bonus, which let me compare this against over the cap. Uh, it does count against his cap hit for this year. So if he is inactive for any games, then the uh, bonus goes down. His prorated bonus for the whole year is seven and a quarter million dollars. Any games he misses where he's not on the active roster and does not receive that bonus, uh, it would go down by 300,000 uh, every week in that case. He also has a workout bonus, um, $200,000 workout bonus, which I believe he has already earned fully. And then there is an additional $4.4 million in not likely to be earned sack incentives. And that does not get charged against the 2021 cap. So the active roster bonuses, which which is a per game basis, that does count. The sack incentives count against next year if he reaches those. And they are set relatively high. So just a refresher. Uh the it escalates so the first one kicks in when he gets six sacks and it escalates at eight 10 12 and 14 sacks 14 being the high mark if he hits that then he gets the full 4.4 million dollars and i'm not sure what the minimum is i know i knew this at one point 
uh, I don't even see this anymore, but um, it's not a ton of money at six. If I remember correctly, it's like the, the 12 and 14 is when it really jumps up a lot. And then the uh, six, eight and 10 is a decently small bonus. But yes, those do count against next year. So you could structure guys this way, but the, the player has to agree to it. You know, the it's it's different than when you restructure um, contract into a roster bonus or, or I mean a signing bonus. So when you so every year there is um, for for most players, they, they'll have a roster bonus that is due. So like uh, if by what uh, March 1st, I think is usually when it is if they're on the if they're on the roster on March 1st, then they get whatever six million dollars and often at that point the Packers will restructure the contract and and make that roster bonus part of a signing bonus and for the player it's no different because they just get that money in a check but the team gets to spread that cap head out into two million dollars this year two million the next year and two million the year after that so that's typically how they do that, and you don't usually need the player's permission to do that. But these these incentive-based bonuses, you would certainly need the player's permission. Um, you need them to sign off on it, and I think you kind of would need it to be a player like Preston where it's like, look, man, um, we like you a lot, and you have been good for us in the past, but recently you have not been um, playing at the level that we signed you to play for. So we'd like to keep you around, but we can only justify keeping you around if you are going to be a player that you were uh, a year or two ago for us. So let's let's do this new contract where we have these uh, performance-based bonuses that kick in. And so if you're playing at the level that we need you to play at, then it's a win-win for everybody because you get all the money that you would have made anyways and... Um, we're not stuck playing, paying for a guy that is not contributing. So, um, but most of the time, I think that the players, if they have any kind of leverage at all to stay on the team, um, and it's not like a COVID year, I think most players are not going to agree to something like that. Not the big expensive players anyways. Garrett asks, who are the best players we haven't heard much about that should make the 53 man roster? My favorite choices are Juwan Winfrey and Christian Uphoff. Uh, Juwan Winfrey caught a bunch of people's attention in minicamp. I know Rob Domofsky, I think, uh, wrote up a big article about him saying that he was super impressive. Uh, I, I just think that there's so much depth ahead of Juwan Winfrey that I think it's a long road for him to make the roster. Uh, I think he would have to beat out uh, Malik Taylor and probably either EQ or Funchess in order to make the roster. So... Um, but who else? Uh, so I did an episode talking about Koi Kronk. Just a little refresher. Koi Kronk is an undrafted guy, a rookie this year. He was, I think he went to Iowa State and then transferred to Indiana after three years. Uh, or maybe I have that backwards. Th- those are the two schools he went to. It wasn't Iowa State. It was Iowa. Iowa and Indiana are the two programs he played for. I can never remember which one he played for first. And he transfers, and at that point, kind of basically never really got to play again. 
<laughs> at least not a full season because he was dealing with injuries. I think he broke his leg. And then he, uh, the following year was COVID year and he actually got COVID. So the dude kind of just couldn't catch a break. But prior to that, and you got to remember, it's been like three years now since he played a full college season. But prior to that, he was um, a left tackle and he was such a good left tackle that he, there there was talk that he was projected to go in the second round of the draft. Um, and at that point, he still had two years of college eligibility left. So it was kind of like, a, yeah, let's wait and see. Like, you know, if he gets drafted, if he tried to get drafted today, he'd go in like the fourth or fifth round. But um, we think that his career path is going to have him be at least a second round pick. So that's the guy that um, interested me a lot. Unfortunately, didn't hear anything about him at all at, at minicamp. Which is not super surprising. Um, you know, he ended up going undrafted because he has basically not been able to play in a couple of years. And to, to be a little rusty and to not be back right at the top of his game again and impressing in minicamp is not super surprising. It's a little disappointing, but um, I think the tools are still there if he can uh, figure it out. Uh, here's another one, Ben Braden. Ben Braden spent last year on the Packers uh, practice squad for a while. Then he ultimately did get signed to the active roster and didn't really catch any attention last year. I think he was like just one of our backup guards for a while, but uh, apparently he is now our third left tackle. So you got, you know, Bakhtiari obviously is the starter. And then I think, Option number two at left tackle is Elton Jenkins ahead of Billy Turner. And then apparently also ahead of Billy Turner for left tackle is Ben Braden. So that's kind of new. Have to see what happens there. But um, this is a guy that I certainly did not think was going to make the 53. And then minicamp happened. And now uh, <laughs> I think that his road to the 53 is uh, not too long. Might be a pretty short road. Um, who else? Safety Innes Gaines is a guy you might um not have heard of. Uh, he signed a futures contract with us back in December, I believe. Uh, he's a six foot, two hundred two, twenty two year old out of TCU. I think he played some corner in college. Uh, but safety is a spot where we're gonna need some additional help. So we got Vernon Scott, we got Henry Black. Um, but I think that there is room for Ennis Gaines to step up and be a contributor if he's talented. Um, but again, this is a guy who was more interesting before minicamp. He didn't, I, I don't think I read his name one time during the minicamp reports. So if you're not hearing about them at all in minicamp, I think they're probably not long for the roster. So we'll see. Um, but guys like Juwan Winfrey did make a lot more noise. Uh, you heard like Shamarji and Charles and Eric Stokes were making headlines all the time. Joe Fortunato. I really think he can beat out Hunter Bradley. I think, uh, they're paying a lot of money to Bradley and for some kind of subpar long snapping. I think that the Packers would probably be okay with moving on from Hunter, saving a few bucks and going with Joe Fortunato. If, Joe is even just as good as Hunter, and that's kind of a low bar. 
Also, very telling, they tried to bring in a third long snapper, and the 49ers swooped in. They were um, higher up on the waiver wire than the Packers were, and they claimed the guy instead. But they were trying to roll into minicamp with uh, three long snappers, worth noting. It's just not a great sign for Hunter Bradley. You mentioned Christian Uphoff. Um, I am not super excited about Uphoff. I know a lot of people really are because he's really athletic. Um, I just haven't seen anything yet to convince me that he is um, any better than like the lowest safety in that room. So we'll see. Uh, I think I think he's he's got to beat out Ennis Gaines first. Then ahead of him, you have Will Redmond, Vernon Scott, Henry Black. Not saying he can't make it happen, but he has his work cut out for him. They also have Jack Heflin is another guy. Uh, it's another Iowa guy, undrafted rookie this year. Interesting only because he's a D lineman, and we just are pretty short on D lineman. So I think that he has a lot going for him there. And then I talked just two days ago about Patrick Taylor, who is a guy that we never got a chance to see last year, who the more I uh, study him and, and, and read about uh, how he was used in college and watch some of his tape. He excites me a lot. I think Patrick Taylor really might have an edge over Kylan Hill and Dexter Williams in terms of just the kind of running back that he is. He's just a different breed um, that, that really could be our best option at a third down running back. So a lot of potential there for him. We'll take our final ad break and come back with a few more questions. Terrell asks, what are your expectations for MVS coming into his contract year? Expectations, I would like to see at least six touchdowns out of MVS. I think that's very doable, uh, even with all the other mouths to feed on on offense. Um, Six touchdowns and let's call it 800 yards. I think that he could do that this year. I think uh, he... Ended last year on a strong note, uh, and and like you said, with it being a contract year, he has extra incentive to show up and ball out and convince the Packers to sink long-term money into him. Uh, He's a lot better player than folks will give him credit for, uh, and I could also see him then (laughs) the year after this, you know, next year, um, after he gets that money, not being as good again. So certainly possible. Uh, Would be far from the the, uh, first guy to have that happen. But I would say that he enters the 2021 season as the uh, first guy up to get those wide receiver two snaps. Would like to see him develop some more of his route tree, um, be used a little bit more in the short passing game as well. That would be nice to see. I really appreciated how his um, his hands developed last year. You know, we spent a lot of time last year talking about his route running and staying on, on course because he was um, previously he'd be running a route and be like three yards off. And so that was a big focus last year, but I really noticed that he was catching with his hands more than catching uh, with his body like he previously did. So that was a development that I really like to see. I think that that could go a long way toward um, uh, helping his, his numbers next year, or I should say this year. Robert, will the Lions go 0-17 this year? At least Stafford was a decent QB. 
Stafford was more than a decent QB. He was a great QB. Um, no, I don't think they're going to go 0 17. I don't think that they will be the worst team in the league either. I think the Bengals, Jaguars, and Jets will all be worse than the Lions this year. And you're probably going to have another team. Oh, I didn't even think about the, the Texans. I think the Texans will be the worst team in football this year. Um, and then I would expect the Bengals, who did I say? Jets, Jaguars. I think those teams will all be worse than the Lions. I would be a little bit surprised if the Lions are any worse than the fifth team in the league. Um, and, and there are other teams that I think have a shot to be worse than the Lions. The Eagles would not surprise me one bit. I think the Lions, without trying too hard, could win five games this year. It is a pretty terrible roster. And I know uh, at the beginning of the offseason when they kind of had just unloaded a bunch of guys and had not brought in a lot of new guys yet, there was a lot more um, pessimism and negativity about them. I know at that point I was one of the guys saying, yeah, they have a real shot at going 0-17. I know Ryan was saying that. Uh, Things have certainly changed for them. I think that they had a good draft. I think that they are a bad enough roster that you will see their rookies being big contributors. One of the biggest issues that I thought their roster had early on was they had like no wide receivers. I'm going to count because it doesn't have a number. I'm going to count the wide receivers that they have on their roster currently. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 wide receivers on their roster. Here are names that you might recognize. Geronimo Allison. Um, If you're, Wondering where he's been. He uh, opted out of last season because of COVID. Quintez Cephas. Uh, Brashad Perriman. Amon Ra St. Brown. And Tyrell Williams. That's not the worst receiving core in the league. It's not great, but you can win some games with that. At tight end, they have uh, never heard of Brock Wright or Hunter Thedford. They are rookies this year. Never heard of Charlie... Wow, how do you say that guy's name? Tom Tom Tomo Poe. It's Tom Talmo Poe. Never heard of Elise Mack. So these are all rookies and second year guys. Then you have TJ Hawkinson and Jake Hausman. Darren Fells. Darren Fells is actually a, a really decent tight end. I didn't realize he was in Detroit now. Uh, he was a Texan for a while. And he was good enough that he was, um, I mean, he was one of those guys that was uh, getting some looks in fantasy football. So I think with the tight ends there, with the um, wide receivers that they added, because back at the beginning of the season, they did not have Tyrell Williams. They did not have Amon Ross and Brown. They did not have Brashad Perriman. They had Quintez Cephas and Geronimo Allison and nobody else. And then they had TJ Hawkinson at that point as well. So those were like the three pass catchers that um, I I thought would have any contributions at all. They have added a lot more there. Uh, The running backs room looks good to me on paper, uh, but they did try and bring in Todd Gurley or rather they had him in for a workout and decided that he really is completely washed up. You got Jamal Williams, who sounds, for all intents and purposes, like he's going to win the starter job. DeAndre Swift is still there. Uh, Jamar Jefferson is a rookie, but I remember watching his film, and he was an interesting guy. So it looks like um, Carrion Johnson's gone. I guess I remember that. 
Uh, I, I think I did report on that, but it was a while ago, and I don't, I don't super care about the Lions stories. But really, they have two two running backs, Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. Uh, I can see why they were trying to add Todd Gurley. I think they probably will try and add somebody else. Um, I wonder what Adrian Peterson's up to. Quarterback. I fully expect Jared Goff to win the starting job. He is bad, but not awful. I think he's better than Tim Boyle. David Blau is also there. It's funny to me watching David Blau in the NFL because he was kind of a terror in college. And then uh, he came to went to Detroit and I went and watched the game in Detroit last year, not last year, two years ago. Feels like last year didn't happen because of COVID. Two years ago in Detroit, Packers uh, Lions, where David Blau came in because Matt Stafford was out and, and Blau kind of just took over the game. It was really interesting to watch. He was he he did an admirable admirable job. Um, but Jared Goff is I I'm almost certain it's going to be the starter. I cannot imagine handing the starting job to Tim Boyle, uh, even though you know you like him. Their offensive line is not terrible. Um, I think Jonah Jackson's pretty decent. Frank Ragnow is one of the best centers in football. And then uh, they got Tyrell Crosby. Of course, they have Penny Sewell now. I think offensive line is going to be a strength for them this year. Linebacker might be suspect, but they got some good rookies in there. Derek Barnes is a beast of a player. Where is, uh see, Jamie Collins is still there. Yes. Jelani Tavai has kind of been horrible in the NFL, but uh, you know a lot of people still think he could turn it around. We shall see. The big question for the Lions is going to be their defense. Um, their defensive line is pretty bad. Uh, their cornerback room is definitely pretty bad, but they there is upside there. Jeff Okuda, I, I know Ryan is really not a fan of him. I'm telling you, I've watched a lot of Jeff Okuda in my life. He's a, He has it within him to be a really good player. Uh, I think that not enough uh, blame is being pointed at the coaching staff that was in place last year. You got a bunch of new coaches in there. Okuda can still turn around. This is just his second year in the league. If he becomes a competent corner, I think that immediately solves a lot of your problems. I think five wins should be the floor for the lions. I would be shocked if they win more than seven. So between five and seven, I think is, is reasonable. I like Dan Campbell. I think he is probably going to uh, do well. At least his first year there, we'll we'll have to see. You know, he this is mostly his first time being a head coach. He's been a, an interim head coach before, and he was decent at that point. Uh, not anything to write home about, but obviously it wasn't his program. He was just stepping in for somebody else. That was with Miami, I believe. The identity of the Lions is very different this year, and I think that's going to go a long way. The When Matt Patricia came in and tried to implement the Patriot way in Detroit, by the way, I live in Michigan, so I get a lot of of updates about what's going on down in Detroit. Um, My wife's family is all, they're all massive Lions fans. I hear all the time about what's going on in Detroit. Players did not like what Matt Patricia was trying to do. I mean, you, you even just, leave out the fact that the players did not like Patricia as a person. Um, they they had a good culture before Patricia came in. 
And then he just kind of upended the whole thing and said, well, we're doing things my way, shipped a bunch of guys off, um, changed you know, the entire identity of the locker room. Dan Campbell is again, going in a different direction with the culture. And it seems to be one that players are really buying into. First of all, Dan Campbell is a player's coach. He was a player for 11 years himself in the league. And then after that, he was an offensive coach for 11 years. He was a tight ends coach and then an assistant head assistant head coach. Wow. It's hard to say he is a former Detroit lion that has to go a long way with the players. He also has made a major emphasis of hiring former players as coaches and staff. Um, I think that the jury is going to be out for a while on how successful this strategy is, but there's no question that the players like it and they are bought in. Now, what's the floor here? Uh, Floor is what the Browns got with Freddie Kitchens in, what, 2019, where Freddie Kitchens came in and was just a real down-to-earth, really beloved guy. And he just was completely in over his head, did not know how to run a team. Uh, You heard, like, really early on that practices were just out of control, that everything was unstructured, and not for lack of trying and not that he was, um, you know, I mean, his heart was in the right place, but he just was in over his head. He was incompetent. Haven't heard anything like that out of Detroit this year. Sounds like they're keeping their heads down. They're working hard. Uh, I know that um, one one thing that uh, the players really like is that Dan Campbell is out there uh, running around with the guys, which is a big upgrade from Matt Patricia sitting there on his uh, ATV, you know, riding around the field and, and watching him. Uh, the players really like Dan Campbell. Sounds like they like their new position coaches and coordinators. Uh, we'll see. I, I, I kind of can buy into what the Lions are doing here. We'll have to see if it works, but uh, are they going to go winless? I think not. Last question from Eric. He says, if Rogers plays poorly when he has a girlfriend and is holding out after getting engaged, what will happen if he gets married? Will he go play for the Bears? I see the joke that you're making, and it's a hilarious one. But I'm also going to expound on that a little bit because Ryan went through and um, compared when we knew that Rogers was in a relationship and when we knew that he was single, turns out the correlation is not when he's in a relationship versus is not in a relationship. You know, he, he won MVP last year and he was in a relationship with, um, Shailene all year. It seems to be that when he's unhappy, he plays poorly. And when he's happy, he plays well. And, um, it seems like when he was dating Olivia Munn, he was not very happy in that relationship, did not play really well. Outside of that, he has played better when he has had a girlfriend. So will he go play for the Bears? I'm going to have to say no because um, the Bears organization is incapable of of handling a good quarterback. So um, I, I think that if he tried to go in the front door there, uh, there's some sort of invisible bear force field that would not let him walk in because he's just too competent of a quarterback. All right, that's all I got for you today. I'm going to hit the hay. Please do me a favor and uh, shoot me some questions for the next couple of episodes. That would be super helpful. The more questions you guys send in, the less um, topics I have to just think up on my own. And uh, I, I like when other people do a little bit of work for me. So 
uh, send me in some questions. I do have a few that are piling up. Um, uh, thank you to everybody who has sent in questions in the last day or two. Um, saving those up so we have a full episode of those. And uh, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. You guys have a fantastic Tuesday. And I will catch you around. Have a good one. Bye-bye.